This is Bloomberg Business Week. I'm Carol Masser. And I'm Jason Kelly. We're here every day bringing you the latest news from the world of business and finance. Plus technology, politics, economics, all harnessing the power of Bloomberg Business Week reporters and editors. Not to mention our 2,700 journalists and analysts in more than 120 countries. You can download Bloomberg Business Week on iTunes, SoundCloud, or Bloomberg.com. You can also listen to our radio show weekdays at 2 p.m. Eastern, only on Bloomberg Radio. She holds, just letting the Madonna play. Letting a little, a little bit. Madonna play, right. but I, I feel like our next guest holds the key to a lot of information yeah. and a lot of what goes on well, here well, at the uh, open. The, the, the key <laughs> to the venue, really, exactly. right? Kristen Corio is back with us, managing director of ticket sales, hospitality, and digital strategy at the USTA. She's with us uh, at the open. It is, first of all, an, the most amazing day, right? The yeah, best. So good well, job. Deserve this. Yeah. Well done. Thank you. It on your list of to do. Me. <laughs> Tell us, remind us about kind of the size and scope of what you're involved in and kind of the expansion, because there's something going on behind us that you're involved in. There too, sure here. is. So, U.S. Open now is for the viewers, or sorry, I should say for the listeners who can't see it, we're actually adjacent to our new set, the U.S. Open now set, which is our latest digital extension uh, for all the digital offerings, aside from our website, usopen.org, the U.S. Open app, and and now we've got U.S. Open now, which brings uh, people around the world a sense of what happens off the court here at the U.S. Open eight hours a day throughout the whole main draw. So how do you program something like that? What are people the most interested in We're seeing, seeing chefs come by and other things. <laughs> I know. I should have them stop by and give you guys some yes, food, too. Yes, please. Uh, yeah, hello. Um, so, yeah, you guys have been here, and anyone that's come out to the U.S. Open knows that the tennis is amazing. Um, but there's so much more to do here besides watch tennis. It's right? an experience and an event. It is. It's, it's a tennis, lot like yeah. a festival. And there's a lot of food to discover and eat. There's so many different cocktails that one can have. Uh, there's a lot of different fan activations on the ground. So we wanted to try to bring that to life for people in a way that if they can't be here with us physically at the U.S. Open, they can get a sense of what it's like to be here at the U.S. Open. Well, you know, what I always find is fascinating because, uh, you know, the big draw is the tennis and stuff. But there's and we've talked about this with you in the past, I mean, the digital component has increased year after year when it comes to the U.S. Open. Yeah, it sure has. And people's appetite for content seems to be insatiable, which was part of the driver behind creating this show. You guys have seen it, right? You've gotten, what, feedback from folks and said, we want more. Yeah. And and people are incredibly interested in the tennis. We have incredible broadcast partners that bring people to tennis, first ball up to last ball struck, over 200 countries. So that's well covered. It's really, you know, on the digital platforms, we want to bring them a piece of that. We want to let them watch the tennis, but we also want to show them the the behind-the-scenes stories. What is it like to get ready for a match? What is it like to recover after a match? Hmm. Um, Interesting. Yeah. And how do you get the buy-in from the players? Because I feel like, you know, these days, you know, they're, they're... open books and yet they got to protect the trade secrets a little bit like I was watching last night and they were talking to Djokovic about his shoulder and he's like "Mm, I'm not going to get into that uh, too much so how do you sort of get them to buy in and and sort of bring that rich experience uh, from the players well it's hard. They're in hot demand, right? Yeah. They're in heavy, heavy demand. Everybody wants them, especially after they win a big match. 
Um, and we want to make sure that our rights holders have access to them first. So right. the best we can do, we can ask and we can hope that they'll stop by our set. And I'm sure you've seen a couple of them stop by yeah. that U.S. Open set. And, and sometimes they're eating and drinking, too, while they're on that set. Um, right. But it can be challenging for sure. It's yeah. hard. They're in hot demand, and at the same time, they're trying to stay mentally in the zone for their next match. Well, and at the same time, they also know this is what the people want, right? right. I mean, right. They, they do. They really, and, and they're finding new and different ways, obviously, to engage with, with their fan base who, as you've seen, as we've seen, like, can't get enough of they, Literally, the appetite's insatiable. Yeah, it's like. been incredible to see what players have done for themselves as content creators right. on their mm-hmm. own social platforms. Exactly. And some of them have really just become artistic creators of content that are so engaging to follow, and we're inspired by them daily. What I think is really cool, I had just seen a piece about folks that are on the tennis tour, but they're not necessarily among the highest ranked, and how tough it is and kind of... It's a hard life. It's a hard yeah. life, it's expensive, and they're doing it you know, often on their own, and the, the, the winnings are not a lot, but I do think something like this is an opportunity to give them a platform as well, right? Right. Yeah. Which is and, pretty cool. And there's some amazing stories that, yeah. that, that maybe not everyone has heard, so especially when it comes to some of our wheelchair athletes, and they just have the most inspiring, incredible stories. And we really want to help get those stories out there because we know um, they're, they're stories that people want to hear. They didn't maybe know about it, but once they do hear about it, they're amazed. Got to ask you, because I feel like an event like this, I'm not sure whether it's immune from the economy, but what are you guys seeing in terms of ticket sales, you know, buy-in early, the activity in the first few days already? What, it, you know, what kind of momentum are you seeing like, compared incredible. to last year? Incredible! This this event just blows our minds every year. Ticket we, sales up from already, last year. Yeah, what, uh, ticket sales are crushing it. We've uh, we will sell over seven hundred and fifty thousand tickets when all is said and done with the tournament. We've already seen over two hundred thousand people come through our gates, and uh, we're only here on day four of the right. main draw. Right. Say, right. right. Yeah. Uh, celebrities seem to flock to this sport. Why do you think that is? I mean, you've got celebrities of all walks of life coming up uh, on this stage. From I mean, I'm, I was looking at the list. You know, chefs. Obviously, I think you've got a Peloton instructor uh, on there yeah. at some point. Like, uh, why does it resonate so much? Just about a minute left. I don't know. There's something about this event that is a quintessential New York City yeah. event. Everybody has to come out, whether you're a fan of tennis or not. And from the athlete perspective, Kobe Bryant is here today yeah. cheering I saw him on in Naomi the Osaka. Stands. Yeah, and they just they love to see athletes at the top of their game. And whether that's hockey or basketball or baseball or tennis, they really are just wowed by what people can do at the top of their game. And, and just from, a, you know, from what keeps people coming out here, it's all the enhancements that we and our sponsors continue to make on the grounds that make it such a must-see event for everybody annually. Yeah, and as you say, so it's much such going a on. New York experience, too. I love that you But it's global, it, right? Yeah. Because it's like people from all over Yeah, we're coming. 23% of our fans here are, are not from the United States. Pretty Great. significant. Always good to catch up with you. Kirsten Corio is Managing Director of Ticket Sales, Hospitality, and Digital Strategy. That's a big job for the USTA. <laughs> she joined us on site here at the U.S. Open. And I'm You're guessing listening. as soon as she's done, she starts for next year. This is Bloomberg Business Week with Carol Masser and Jason Kelly on Bloomberg Radio. 
So Uber Technologies, right, certainly a company we follow, and rightfully so. It's about a $56 billion market cap as we speak. The CEO has been in his spot. He's uh, celebrating his second year anniversary. And our Emily Chang caught up with him. She's, of course, our host of Bloomberg Technology. It's such a smart time right now. First of all, with Lyft and Uber, right, we're seeing in terms of their IPOs, uh, there's more scrutiny of these services. They've been around for a while. We're questioning and taking a deeper look into their financial uh, stories as well. So, Emily, as we mentioned, uh, did catch up with the Uber CEO, Dara uh, Khazrashahi. They caught up in the company's headquarters in downtown San Francisco. Let's listen to that conversation. We have resolved all of the governance conflicts that the company had. There were many legal issues that the company was involved with as well. Uh, We got SoftBank in as a partner, and you want SoftBank to be behind you and a big partner and a big investor. Uh, And we have a great investor base. We've taken the company public, uh, and the company revenue, gross bookings have grown 75% since I joined. Uh, We now have a path to profitability, I believe. Uh, So while we've had bumps on the road, uh, and every adventure has bumps on the road, I like where we are, and I especially like the position that we're in now for the next years. There have been bumps on the road, and and despite all the negative stories, Uber, Lyft, ride-sharing companies have been transformational. The big question for you is, can Uber be as transformational over the next decade as it has been over the last decade? I think so. I mean, really what Uber has done is brought transportation and opportunity at this point to what we believe is a small segment of population. Listen, we've got over 4 million driver partners all over the world, uh, which is a huge number, and it's unparalleled. But we want Uber to be available to everybody. Uh, And what we're doing now is going into the next step of introducing other transportation choices to Uber. We've always gone with pool, but for example, we're testing buses in Cairo now to even bring the price of Uber down to the next level, a dollar, a buck fifty, etc. We're introducing bikes and scooters for personal electric mobility so that essentially any way that you want to get around your city, we're going to be there for you. It'll be mostly Uber goods, but we'll also have other third parties such as Transit, such as one of our partners, Lime, as well. Any way you want to get around, we want Uber to be there. And if you want food, if you want even local commerce, which I think we will power, Uber Eats and some of our other services will be there for you as well. So I guess the question is, can Uber be so transformational and stop losing money? I mean, the prices sound very attractive, but can you create a good business where the rides are a dollar, a dollar fifty? Yes. So we are taking our rideshare business. If you, uh, our CFO talked about it, Nelson, this last quarter. If you look at our rideshare business, it covered our overhead less about a hundred million dollars. And so the rideshare business itself uh, is turning quite profitable, and we believe that the profits of the rideshare business not only are going to grow top line, but we believe that you're going to grow bottom line as well. And then there are other businesses. Eats, uh, autonomous, freight, etc. These are extraordinary opportunities that we're funding. But I do believe that we're going to prove to our investors that we can take, on a serial basis, big parts of our business, turn them profitable, use those parts of our business to fund investments in other areas. Still, there are execution issues. You just had your biggest quarterly loss ever, $5.2 billion. The stock has been trading below its IPO price much more often than not. Investors seem to love shorting it. You've got hiring freezes on various teams. You've fired some of your, or at least some of your top hires have left. So you've said that you believe Uber, Uber can be profitable, but how confident and how quickly 
can Uber be profitable? How confident are you that Uber can be profitable, and how quickly? Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm very Uber confident. So I think the losses that we reported, it was a $5 billion loss from an accounting perspective. If you live in accounting world, that's a big loss. I live in the real world. And actually, in the real world, our EBITDA losses, 656, were lower than Q1, and we're on a good path in terms of our EBITDA losses as well. But you're absolutely right. None of this is going to be easy. All of this is going to take excellent execution from all of our teams, marketing, technology, etc. And we are going to be demanding our employees to be doing even more with less and to execute incredibly effectively in order for us to grow the top line and the bottom line as well. So is pricing the main lever that you pull to profitability, or are there other drivers? Scale. Scale. It's it's getting big when you've got over a billion rides per quarter and you've got trips growing at 35% on a year-on-year basis. We think we can use technology to be much more efficient. For example, instead of now you're having to email a call center agent or call a call center agent if you have issues, you can just do it in the app. These are technology innovations that allow customers to have a better experience and at the same time they bring down costs. So the combination of growing top line still over 30%, technology innovation to delight the customer and take costs down at the same time, and then good old-fashioned efficiency, making sure that our corporate costs don't grow as fast as our revenue. All of those together give you a formula to get to profitability. And that is Uber CEO Dara Kasrashahi speaking with Emily Chang, of course, the host of Bloomberg Technology. Catch more of that interview coming up at 5 p.m. later today on Bloomberg Technology. We're here at the U.S. Open. But a lot of people took Ubers and Lyfts uh, back and forth between here in Manhattan, uh, got to be honest. Right. A, not a lot. A lot. A lot. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Well, and I keep thinking about it. Every time we have a discussion about Uber and Lyft, I mean, they're different stories. Lyft is very much focused domestically on the United States. Uber is, right, looking elsewhere outside the U.S., but they're also looking to take kind of their platform and then layer different services on top of it. So, uh, you know, kind of different formats, but at the same time, increasingly investors in Wall Street, and we've seen this in terms of the earnings reports, you know, folks want to see them making money. Right. Well, (laughs) and also this notion, and he addressed this, that this is ultimately about scale, you know, that that is the answer to the question, how do you make money and do this? It's about scaling it up to the perspective where you really can actually make some money and still offer what I thought was so interesting, rides at those lower prices. Because that ultimately, I mean, it's a math problem at the end of the day. It's a complicated math problem, but it's a math problem. Well, and that's what has been kind of cool about Lyft and Uber, right? Is really kind of creating almost, you know, like taxi service for the masses and for everyone and making it so accessible. So uh, I think it'll be interesting to see as this business model uh, evolves, but it really is truly, I feel like, you know, the the first company that really showed us how the sharing economy can really work on a big scale in many ways. And so uh, lots of questions to come. All right. Yep. We're here at the U.S. Open. we got lots more to come. We're going to continue to talk to uh, various folks about what's happening here at the U.S. Open. We're going to get a check on, you know, what's happening in the bond market. Yeah, uh, economics, GDP, up. another read on GDP today. Right. So we're going to break that down with our folks. And then we've got to talk about the issue, the magazine. Oh, yeah. The elements issue. And we've got, I think I went.
went on record on our weekend show saying it. It's my favorite story uh, in the whole issue. The one it's coming Austin up? Carr, yeah. Well, uh, it's a great character that he talks about, Osmium. right? Osmium. I had never heard of it. Had you heard of it? <laughs> I had not heard of it. Right. I, that's why I think. And, and as Austin said, and we'll hear more from him, you know, that as he talked to this guy and profiled this guy, he was like, sometimes I was like, yeah, this is pretty interesting. And sometimes I was like, uh, mm, I'm not so sure about uh, this. A little skeptical here. Yeah, for sure. For sure. You are listening to Bloomberg Business Week. I'm Carol Masser, along with Jason Kelly, live from the U.S. Open in Flushing, Queens, just outside Arthur Ashe Studio. Uh, studio. Stadium. <laughs> well, it is called also a studio. You are listening to Bloomberg Radio. All right, so I learned a lot about Matt Winkler over, gosh, almost two decades of working with him at Bloomberg. He is, of course, the founding editor-in-chief of Bloomberg, now the editor-in-chief emeritus. One of the things I got to know about him, Carol, is... He's a pretty wicked tennis player, apparently. He's shaking he's, his head no. Uh, which, usually means, which usually means yes, but yes. we have somebody we can ask yeah, to find out how now, good he you is. Know, because one of the other things <laughs> I learned uh, from Matt was, you know, always check. Always check uh, you know, what people are saying about themselves or what other people say about them. Because in addition to Matt, uh, we have Jose Alberto Lara. He is a tennis pro, once the number two player in the Dominican Republic. He studied law, but also... He's coached Matt Winkler. So they're both here with us at the U.S. Open. All right. So, Matt, give us the scene here. You're you're great at sort of describing what something's all about. What are the superlatives of the U.S. Open? Well, the superlatives are the players who are superlative. And every year you get to see an unlimited uh, display of superlative tennis, which is a treat for anybody who appreciates it. And it's at every level, it's men, it's women, it's doubles, it's singles, it's everything. And then the fact that the crowd so enjoys what they're watching, it just is a spectacular event. All right, I got to cut to the chase. So, Jose, how good is, is Matt? He's good. You know, he's working hard. No, no, he worked very hard and he tried his best. He wants to play like Federer. How long have you guys been working together? Nine years. Around 19 years. Wow. And so... What's what's the methodology? I mean, especially I, I, I'm going to sort of like put you on the uh, on the sort of tennis couch a little bit here, Matt. So, Matt, clearly a very successful guy, clearly smart, very analytical. We know all that about him. How do you coach someone like that? You know, um, he just know how he think. And one of the great things he want to be good, whatever he do. Yeah. So that's easier because whatever I told him what to do, he tried so hard. <laughs> So I do wonder when you guys come together, like, are you watching matches, watching players, Matt, and you're saying, okay, like, here's what you can kind of pick up from this play, or here's what... (laughs) Right. So I know nothing. Jose knows everything, (laughs) which is why, again, this is such a great day for me, because I get to come with my coach. Well, what do you get get out of bringing your coach? So Uh, at this event, yeah. You know, one thing he always says, oh, that's what he did to me. (laughs) Sometimes, (laughs) you know. But I think it's great because sometimes we go over and he can see sometimes what I try to teach him. He said, you know, oh, that's what you try to to teach me, coming under the ball, the things. You know, Matt, I got to think in an age of high technology, we look around here and obviously technology plays into the game of tennis. And as we've all been playing for years, the technology of the racket and the balls and all of that, the shoes, everything has changed. But one of the things that's so notable is there are a lot of people here wanting to experience something and wanting to sort of be together. What is it about the game of tennis that sort of transcends all the other distractions that we have? So it's your mind, it's your body, it's your soul. 
It's those three things. The great tennis players combine the soul, the mind, and the body. My coach is one of them. Yeah. I'm not one of them. (laughs) (laughs) And so what did you see sort of coming up uh, in tennis? You played at the highest level of this game. You you played with a lot of people who are here competing. How has the game changed since you've been involved? Physical. You know, know, we can see Federer, Nadal, and Roger. Those guys are great, you know. His mindset are higher than most of the players. But the more important from different is the physical. They still in shape to be able to play higher level. And, you know, most of the young players, they can move better. Yeah. You know, but those guys, they have the mindset. And the main change is that they keep the body in shape to be able to compete at that level. Right. So there's a physical element, obviously, yes. but a big kind of mental element yeah. as well. So who are you most looking forward to kind of watching play? Nadal. Nadal. Yeah. He's playing tonight that's on Ash, our, right? That's our. That's your reason that's to your be thing? here. Yeah. That's it. That's what we're waiting for. Especially because Jose is so much like Nadal. Yeah. Uh, the way he plays. Uh, his spirit. A lot of heart, right? Oh, I mean, goodness. that's the thing about Rafa, right? Is he plays with so he, much heart. He plays every point yeah. as if it's his last, right. which I think is something Nadal said. So. All right. So, Matt, I got to ask you, I can never get too far away from all the things I learned from you about Wall Street, especially this is a big scene for the Wall Street crew, especially next week as we get further and further into the tournament. It's a who's who as you look around, especially the lower bowl. What is it that attracts the best minds of Wall Street to this game beyond some of the things we've talked about, do you think? Well, there's so many ways to compete, but ultimately it is about competition. And it's about keeping your poise when everybody else is losing theirs. And that's a big part of Wall Street, if you think about it, which is you're doing a trade, you're making an investment decision, and it's are you competent enough? Do you believe enough in what you're doing? Do you have the poise to carry it through? And that's what they're seeing here. Well, and I also think about the idea that, you know, for folks at the top of their game at Wall Street, whether it's a trader, whether it's a hedge fund manager, a private equity manager, a CEO, they want it to come down to them, to, you know, to him or her. They want to be the person that it's all resting on, right? And tennis comes down to that. Absolutely. I mean, tennis is one of those sports where you truly have to put everything together. And if one piece is missing... Yeah. Your entire game can fall apart. All right. Great to catch up with you both. Thank you so much. Matt Winkler and Jose Alberto. Laura, you got a lot of tennis to watch. We're so glad you joined us. I'm driving in my car. I turn on the radio. How about you let me drive? Oh, no. No, no, no. Who's going to drive you home? Honey, please. I'll do the driving. Drive home. Excuse me. I want to drive. Just drive, baby. It's the question that drives us. This is the drive to the close. That funky music will drive us till the dawn. On Bloomberg Radio. It is time for the drive to the close. Dropping by once again here at the U.S. Open. Bill Stone, co-chief investment officer at Avalon Advisors, friend of the show, avid tennis fan with us on site at the Open. Nice to see you again. It's nice to be here every year. Yeah, uh, and I think you brought some enthusiasm back to the market. I'm trying. I'm trying. (laughs) I figure, you know what? I'm out of the office. We finally got a day at the Open when it's not sweltering hot. So It's really beautiful. This is the best I've ever had it in terms of weather here. I feel like when we saw you here last year, we were all sitting here. 
here, oh. like in sweating in sort of an embarrassing way where we almost couldn't look at each other. No, it was brutal. Yeah. It, 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 I was melting. Yeah. I was literally melting. And we're always waiting for like the thunderstorm <laughs> to happen. Yeah. Um, tell me about the markets because I feel like it's she loves me, she loves me not, she loves me, she loves me not. And that's what we see in the trade. And of course, it ties back largely to U.S.-China trade. But is it all about that? I, I think, well, at least in the short run, clearly, you know, I call it the agony and the ecstasy. Um, and, you know, today we got the ecstasy. Uh, we got good weather and we got a decent headline on trade. And there you go. You get the rally. Um, but tomorrow may bring something different, you know. Um, and I think you just have to be ready to live through that one way or the right. other. How do you trade that, though? And how do you invest on that? I mean, for us, we'd say we don't trade it. We just say you've got to think, right. where do you think things end up? And where do you think the value, and I'll have to say relative value is? And Hundred-year bonds. Yeah, I mean, and that tells you what's expensive to us is bonds. And I think leaning against that, I think, makes some sense uh, in terms of stocks. Yes, they'll be volatile, but... If you're only getting 150 on the 10-year and right. you know corporate profits are holding up okay, I, I still think stocks are the place. Well, and you mentioned volatility in August, and we have seen this in mm-hmm. spades this year. Is historically sort of a volatile month. Volumes are thin. You know, plus you feather in everything we've been talking about around trade. Look ahead for us past August. Like, what's the outlook here for volatility? What's the general outlook in your estimation? I guess the hard part is I do think volatility is with us for a while because I, I guess I'm of the view, I don't know that we get to a deal on trade anytime real soon. I think there's, even though, again, you know, we got a little better headline today, I think I'm ready for the next bad headline. Yeah, um, bad tweet. And I think it's, it's worth thinking that way. I think you just say, here, at the end of the day, do you really think the U.S. is going to fall into recession? And I don't think that's the case. I think I still think... Well, you look around us, right? And I understand the skews, the U.S. Open, to, you know, folks that are fairly well off. But, I mean, you look around here and you would think, okay, there's no recession. Well, but even that, take beyond uh, this... Yeah, you're right. This is not the best, uh, or you know, group only But airports are still crowded. There's lots of travelers. The consumer remains strong. I mean, the fact is wages are growing. You know, we continue to see job numbers, despite everyone thinks initial jobless claims somewhere are going to jump up a bunch. They just have not. And then wages are growing. And I, I say that again for the second time because it's also growing on the lower end. Yeah. And the lower end spends essentially over 100% of what they make. So there's some good support here. So at what point does do we see an intersection of corporate caution with the consumer who remains like almost stubbornly optimistic and willing to spend? What is it going to take? Uh, and I'm not hoping for this, obviously, but what might it take for the consumer to say, you know what? I'm not going to buy that new TV. I'm not going to take that trip. I'm not going to get a lease on a new car. To me, I think it's... If employment starts to give out, yeah. right? I mean, if you start getting nervous about your job, right. then then you really got to start worrying. And, and I think that's it. I mean, I know the consumer confidence numbers are slightly off their highs and all that, but they're still very high. Yeah. But you're right. That's the danger is that, you know, that, that the employment starts to fall off and people start to say, whoa, I'm going to, yeah, I'll hold off on buying that because I might let my not have my job tomorrow. Bill, how do do countries and economies outside the United States factor into your outlook if they do? Because I, I, I watch very closely kind of what's going on in Germany because I think that should be one of the stronger economies over in Europe. It isn't right now. It, they're having trouble. So when they have troubles, it makes me wonder what else. I mean, with Germany, they're kind of a double loser in, the, in this whole trade war with China. They get hit on both sides. So, mm-hmm. you know, they get the U.S. side and they also do a lot of business with China. And so that's what you're seeing. And, you know, you're seeing them get ready for recession. They're probably wise to get ready for it. So, no, I think you have to say, and I think everybody knows, 
the international economies in, I think, you have to say in a whole, are a headwind for the U.S. Yeah. But the difference right. is the U.S. can actually go alone uh, in the sense of because so much of the U.S. consumer can essentially self-contain. Um, things would be better if everyone else was going along okay, but but we can go along. So I want to ask you about a story that we were talking about earlier that's trending very high in the Bloomberg, and it has to do with essentially where people are living, where they're moving. <laughs> Your guy lived in Philly. Now you're in Houston. And when you look at the, the sort of mega trend across the United States, New York losing, L.A. losing, Chicago losing, gaining, Dallas, Houston, Atlanta, Phoenix, Austin, Phoenix. What do you see, especially on the ground uh, there in Houston, which historically has been sort of a boom and bust town over oil, but it's a much more diverse economy now. It's got to be a good window into the broader economy. What do you see? I mean, I, I think, well, I went there for the opportunity, right? right? So, I mean, I think that's case in point, right? I mean, I I probably would have stayed in the East Coast, but all, I got a great opportunity in Houston. I was never thinking about moving to Houston, right. to be honest. I've had anything against it. Don't don't come out. It's a great town. A lot, great. I a lot like of it. family in Houston. It's awesome. I mean, I, I'm, I'm liking it. I'm a Texan now, baby. Yeah. But, but I do think you've got entrepreneurship. You know, maybe it's the, the start of the oil, but, I mean, there's a deep-down entrepreneurship sure. you have. Uh, immigration, you know, you have growth, and growth makes things a lot better. You right. know, I mean, it's better than than cities where people are leaving. It covers up a lot of sins uh, when you have people coming in. Lower cost of living, yeah, it definitely. No state income tax, yes. Right? So that all helps. I got a raise, into, yeah, from, just from the taxes, right? Just from moving. Um, so, what worries people then? In a, you know, we know what worries people in in this part of the country, and it's largely cost of living, it's higher taxes, it's things like that. What worries people in Houston? Well, I mean, certainly, like you said, some good portion of the economy is tied to energy. Yeah. And there is no doubt that's suffering. Um, it hasn't. I don't feel like it's shown up that much yet in terms of our economy. Right. And maybe, like I said, other growth covers up a lot yeah. of things. But, but underneath, I think that still remains a worry that eventually, say, that caves in real estate because that's happened before. Yep. It's not happening yet, by the way. But I think that's the, the maybe the, the worry. Recession? Anytime soon? For the U.S. economy? I don't think so. I mean, we'd still say, you know, obviously you had to bring your odds up somewhat, but we'd still say odds are none in the next 12 months. We'll still yeah. stick our neck out on that one. All right. Who do you like to win the tournament? You know, I'm going to stick with the old men because I'm one and go with uh, with Federer. But then, you know what, my dark horse we were talking about earlier, we're going to go with, because I was just watching him, is Medvedev. So ah, we're going to go with interesting. Uh, you know, in case someone breaks in, the women's, honestly, I've thrown my hands up. I think anyone Wide can open. Win. Yeah. Which is kind of fun. I, yeah. like, I, love I, it. I actually like Osaka a whole lot, but I'll say right now she's probably not likely to win. Yeah. Um, I think that's maybe my one that I'll say. Yeah. That's that. I, I have no idea. There's a hugely strong slate of American women coming up yeah, uh, Kenan, in tennis. Kenan, yeah, Kenan, look good. Exactly. I, Bill Stone, thank you so much. Thank you. Great to see you again. Have a safe trip home. Chief thank Investment you. Officer over at Avalon Advisors, based in Houston, with us here at the U.S. Open. Thanks for listening to Bloomberg Business Week. You can subscribe to the podcast on iTunes, SoundCloud, or Bloomberg.com. You can also listen to our radio show every weekday at 2 p.m. Eastern, only on Bloomberg Radio.